great God you have a seat. A great and mighty God. It's our privilege to give him praise. We get to serve him every day, and some have the privilege of serving him not just in this community or in this country, but in other parts of the world. I want to introduce you to a couple that gets that privilege this morning. The amazing thing, the awesome thing, one of the awesome things about God is he's not just God of Butler, he's not just God of the United States, he's God of the world. Literally, he's God of the universe. And he has people who follow him all around this globe. Some we know about, many we don't. And again, you're going to get to hear just a, a quick story this morning about a few that follow him in the country of Italy. A couple that I want to introduce, introduce you to is Dustin and Miranda Mahoney. Dustin spent uh, time in our youth group, kind of came through our youth group, and uh, was called into missions, into, into full-time ministry, and he now serves with Avant Ministries in Genoa, Italy. He's served there since 2007. About a year and a half ago, he was married to Miranda, and now they, and they returned there and served together in Genoa. And they're here in Butler for really about nine or ten days. And we wanted to give them the opportunity to come to, to speak in front of you for just a moment, share a story or two of what God is doing. And, and I'd encourage you afterwards to hear more stories of what God's doing out these doors into the left. They'll be out there in the lobby to talk with you. You know, being overseas, there, there are struggles. There are difficulties uh, that really are difficult to explain. But there are also great joys and great victories as we see what God's done. So would you welcome Dustin and Miranda as they come this morning to share with us. We're so glad you all took the time to be here with us this morning, so thanks. Thank you, Bob. And there are great joys and great victories that, that come with serving the Lord. And, and we just want, Miranda and I want to personally thank each of you as part of our home church uh, for your direct involvement and your role that you play in this really unique story that God is writing in Genoa, Italy. Um, you've supported a ministry for the past five years, uh, a church planning ministry uh, where in a city that's practically churchless and a city that's practically godless. Uh, and, and as a team uh, that we work with, we have invested those five years predominantly in language acquisition, in ministry experimentation, as well as in a great deal of seed planting. And, and we stand before you today just thankful and encouraged uh, that in this past year that, that your support, that your investment in Genoa has begun to pay major kingdom dividends. Our, our ministry vision is to see an explosive network of reproducing churches transforming Genoa, Italy, and we want to see a movement of small group churches called Jesus Encounters across the city. And in the past year, we have seen that network grow both numerically and most importantly in terms of spiritual depth. We have seen not just conversions, though we have seen over a dozen of our friends in general come to know Christ this past year, and we praise God for that. But we've also seen friends of ours who have taken major leaps forward as, as there's a core group core foundation of, of men and women who have stepped up in their own personal walks with Christ, who have begun to share their faith with others, who have begun to teach and even to lead. And I just want to share with you a couple of those stories of, of, of transformed lives in Genoa. 
Uh, first, I want to share with you about Jonathan. Uh, Jonathan, he's a, he's a good buddy of mine. He's a national. And about a year ago, we met Jonathan. And at the time, he, he was suffering from depression. He was suffering from just the effects of, of, of not having a community of faith. And so Marina and I, we asked Jonathan, Jonathan, would you like us to, to disciple you, to have a mentorship type of relationship? He's like, yeah, that would be great. Well, just what a difference a year makes in a person's life. Someone, this is a man who, who has just given everything he, he has for Christ, who has just been willing to follow him. And his enthusiasm and his fervor for Christ, it just seeps through into all his relationships to the point that he came to us one day and said, hey, could, could I start a Jesus encounter in my own home with my friends and with my family? And so Jonathan opened up his home. He's now trained to teach. He's now trained to lead. And he's sharing his faith and the word of God with people that, that Miranda and I, we could never touch. I also want to share you a story about Gigi. Now, Gigi and his wife, Emmy, they've hosted a Jesus encounter in their home for the past year. But Gigi had never been baptized. And so this past summer, Gigi, he came to us and he said, hey, you know, I'd really like to be baptized, but there's one problem. My family, they've threatened to withhold my inheritance if I, if I go forward and get baptized. And so Gigi, he spent the next night unable to sleep, reading through the Gospels, just asking God, what should I do without the support of my family? And he called us up the next day. He said, you know what? It's true. I, I might not get my inheritance. But you, but you know, I have a heavenly inheritance that awaits me. And so there's nothing that's going to stop me. And so a few days later, we took Gigi and his family and a group of us gathered together right in, at the, at, in the Mediterranean Sea. And we dunked Gigi and he came out of the water and he lifted up both his hands. And he just had this just look of joy as he just proclaimed God's victory in his life. And so this is a story of victory. And we're starting to see more and more victories every day in Genoa. There's many more we'd love to share with you about. But these are stories of, of victory of, of what God is doing in the lives of broken sinners just like you and me. And it's because of you that he's allowed this to happen. And so as Marina and I, as we prepare to go back to Italy in just over a week, we just want you to know that the investment that the support, that the encouragement, that the prayers, that the relationship we have with each of you, it's making a difference. You are touching lives in, in, a, in a totally different and a totally godless part of the world where we're starting to see a newborn church rise up. So we just want to thank you this morning. Thank you, Dustin, Miranda. What a pleasure to have you here this morning. And uh, as they said, and Bob said too, after the service, they're going to be out there in the lobby to the left out those center doors. Please take advantage of that and get to uh, know exactly how you can help and what they're doing. A lot of information in your bulletin. I want to make sure you read it carefully. You saw Operation Shoebox that we participate with every year. It's a great ministry, and it touches lives of people that we don't see on this side of heaven, but we will on that side of heaven. So I encourage you to be involved. I know our children are doing something special next week, and I shared that with you yesterday as they put them together as well. Tonight, Junior and Senior High Ministry will have the privilege of having Brian Campbell do a concert. Brian was here a couple of years ago in between worship directors, and he's sharing for Junior High and Senior High tonight. So uh, you want to make sure you do that. Dinner's going to be served at 6 instead of 6.30, so I want to make sure you know that. 
Also in your bulletin is a flyer that looks like this. If you're thinking about marriage or planning on getting married or you're engaged or just really serious, we would love to have you there. It's actually one of our requirements to being married at Community Alliance Church. So uh, find out about that information. It's great, great, great information. And it will help you in preparation for one of the biggest days of your life. So I encourage you to do that. You saw the slide in the loop. Maybe you don't always pay attention to the transform slide. We just get so excited when people come to faith in Christ. Obviously, our partnership with uh, Dustin and Miranda. But uh, a couple of weeks ago on Wednesday night in E56, six kids came to faith in Christ. And we want to celebrate that. Brent Fells directing that ministry and doing a phenomenal job, but not only praising God for the transformation that is taking place, but continue to pray for the integration of that and that they will grow in their relationship and grow in their connections and that God will continue to bless our adventures as we seek to reach more and more with the gospel of Jesus. You ever hear, how many were here last Sunday night? Quite a few of you. You should have seen the crowd last Sunday night. They didn't know what to think, didn't know how to pray, or how to plan, but we planned as much as we possibly could, and everything went without a hitch. And so on behalf of all of us who worked so hard in preparation for that, thank you for your amazing cooperation. We ask you, thank you. We, uh, we didn't know what to expect. We hoped for about 1,000. We had 1,000. And uh, every nook and cranny was full. We added the extra seats up front, a few in the legacy room. Our security was amazing. Uh, we just had so much help in putting it together. Parking lot was full. We ran out of parking spaces. Nobody seemed to mind or complain. One of the guys that was directing traffic in the parking lot said, I only heard from one person who was angry at what took place. I said, shoot, I do that every week, make somebody mad. So that's not bad, one night for one person. But thank you so very much for your cooperation for that particular event. We had incredible help from our local law enforcement. I probably think Brigitte gave one of the best praises for those who serve in the military I've ever heard. I mean, I was so moved. You know how much I love those who serve now and have served and are serving, and I was so unbelievably moved with the way she said it, said it and the way she did it. It was absolutely powerful and rightfully done and extremely well done. I do want to remind you, though, that I also have deep respect and appreciation for those who lay down their lives every day in law enforcement. And sometimes we forget that. And it was just a great reminder of how they worked and put it together. Uh, Dean Lawrence, who was a retired state trooper who oversaw all of our security, did a phenomenal job. Mike Sloop went above and beyond the call of duty as our, as our sheriff in Butler County. And Nate Teslick from Butler Township, half a dozen other Pennsylvania police officers, Penn Township, Middlesex Township. They were all here just to be a part of that event. And uh, if you see one of those guys on a regular basis, just say, hey, thanks for what you do. And thanks for how you serve. And uh, I, I just couldn't be over, more overwhelmed with that. They deserve our support, our respect, our encouragement. Got a lot of feedback from the audience. A lot of people love the spirit of our church. Many appreciated our willingness to bring her. If I heard once, I heard 27 times. Boy, you got a lot of guts bringing her here. <laughs> I didn't know that. <coughs> I'm glad my guts are still in and everything is okay. But we just had a lot, a lot of feedback on bringing her here. So thank you so much for cooperating so well. What I have found is that no matter where I stand on any given subject, this one specifically, you'll see the title of this morning's sermon, Faith, Politics, and the Election. What I have found that no matter where I stand, I realize that not everyone will be pleased. Some will say we give too much information, spend too much time discussing the issues. Some will say we give too little attention to the issues and not take specific stands on certain things. 
Many wanted me to join with the pastors who were taking on the IRS a few weeks ago and in what we can or cannot say. And some were disappointed that I didn't do that. What I have felt is my role is to encourage you to become incredibly aware of the issues and specifically what is at stake. I'm not here to tell you exactly how to vote or who you should vote for, but I, let me back up. I will tell you how to vote. I will not tell you necessarily who to vote for, but I encourage you with every fiber of my being to do your homework. Make sure you understand the issues. Make sure you know the candidates. And not just those who address the hot topics like abortion or marriage, but find out every single thing you can on every single issue and on every single candidate. We do everything we can. There's still absentee ballots out there. Voter's Guide, all the kinds of information we can possibly give you. The Internet is rampant with information on candidates and where they stand on certain issues. And I encourage you, as much as I know how, do your homework. I'm not here to tell you what to do in that respect, but I'm encouraging you to do your homework so you know where you stand on those issues. I also want to remind you that in a national election like this, that sometimes it's easy to ignore local elections. Don't do that. And if you think local elections don't matter that much, just read the Butler Eagle as it discusses on a regular basis how some of our elected officials act like kids on, kids on a school ground playground than people who want to get the job done. After last Sunday morning and then last Sunday night, <coughs> I felt the weight of what was done. I felt a weight on Monday morning like I couldn't shake. Monday is my day off and in my head, it wasn't off at all. I wrestled with my response to all of this. I leaned over to someone, and my son-in-law, in uh, near the end of her presentation, just whispered, I'm dead. <laughs> I don't know what to share. I don't know exactly what to do, how to respond, where our people are, the mass of humanity that feels that they're on one side or the other. God, what do you want me to do? And all day long on Monday, I really felt the weight of that. I came in Tuesday, and I began to integrate myself and everything that I could possibly do to prepare for this particular message. I had things across my desk like no time ever in the history of elections. I read a book, How Should Christians Vote, by Tony Evans. Excellently well done. Ron Moore from the South Hills Bible Church has written a pamphlet called Picking a President. I read Bonhoeffer's book. Well, actually, I didn't read all of this this week. But I read a lot of this, and then I went to my shelf as if you don't think politics is something that ought to be discussed in church and realize that I had this book called Politics in the Bible. I did go through most of this this week. Tuesday morning, I began to think, what is it, God, want, God, do you want me to say? And I prayed with every fiber of my being. I watched the political debates. I watched both of the conventions that took place. And I, I don't ever remember feeling in all of my years of talking about and thinking about elections the weight of where we are at this particular point. I read excerpts from the movie 2016 and saw interviews about the movie 2016, which essentially is an indication or a theory that the current president is in a position where his basic desire or his basic premise is having the United States not be the superpower that it's always been, but more of a, a second continent or a second country. It's no such thing as a third world country that America will ever get to because of our richness and third world countries are known for their poverty. But the intention of that, seemingly so, is that we not no longer become the superpower that we are, that it becomes a more level playing field in all the circumstances around us and with all the nations around the world. And when you began to put all those pieces together of things that we've seen over the last four years, some of the things begin to line up and some of it makes sense. 
but you also recognize that it's a theory of putting together all that pieces of information. And I found myself saying, God, where are we? Where are we going? And what's going to happen? I read the verse again that we're dealing with this morning. Submit yourself for the Lord's sake to every human authority out of 1 Peter chapter 2. And to show proper respect to everyone, love the family of believers, fear God, and honor the emperor. Or as the King James Version said, respect the king. And I recognize all that, and I absolutely am committed to doing it. And then you get a little bit skeptical of the things that are going on around you. Over the next few weeks, uh, to be honest with you, we'll not be surprised if there is a retaliatory attack on Libya. The oil price information service has said yesterday in an article in USA Today that gas will probably go down by 50 cents in the next, interestingly enough, three weeks. You guarantee me, or I can guarantee you as I stand here this morning, that there will be a shift in the job market and in unemployment. And we'll notice it specifically in the next three weeks. And then it makes you wonder, who do I trust? Where do we stand? What do we do? How do we submit ourselves for the Lord's sake to every human authority and show proper respect to everyone when you're extremely uncertain about where we are? But the one thing I said to you last Sunday morning that we have to do and will always do no matter where we stand and what we feel and what we think, we've got to stay with the Word of God. Last Sunday, I promised you a sermon notes are in your bulletin this morning. They're a blue insert. And I shared with you again the necessity when you begin to study subjects like this, however they may be and however vast they may be, that you always remember at least these four things. When you're beginning to explore subjects, look for the context. Look for the historical context. Who's the author writing to and what are the issues they're addressing? What does Scripture, all of Scripture, say about a particular subject and how to apply it? All four of those issues are absolutely critical as you deal with any given subject. Do all four of them and make sure you do them first commentaries and articles and books are awesome. I read constantly. I have more in my study than anyone can imagine. I've got one entire wall devoted to books and commentaries and literature. All of that is awesome. But I have more people tell me what MacArthur or Swindoll or Stanley say than what the Word of God says on a given subject. And I, I just implore you to make sure that we read the Word of God, that we understand what God's Word has to say, about a given subject, and what is my response as a believer to what I know about that? And how do I make decisions based on my intuition, based on what I think, what I'm afraid of, or what it is that I know God's Word is telling me to do, and how I respond to that? The subject we're discussing last Sunday morning and this Sunday is addressed all over Scripture in a number of places. First Peter, the one I read to you before in chapter 2. Paul, who was writing to a Gentile audience in a sense, and Peter writing to a Jewish audience, both addressed the same subject, dealing with unbelievable atrocities in their day. And Paul in Romans 13 said, Let everyone be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities exist and have been established by God. Consequently, whoever rebels against that is rebelling against God. For rulers hold no terror for those who do right, sounds similar to Peter, but to those who do wrong. For the one who is in authority is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid. For rulers do not bear the sword for no reason. They're God's servant, agents of wrath that bring punishment on the wrongdoer. You cannot read the Bible and ignore the political realm. It's all over the place. First and Second Kings deal specifically with the rule and reign of government leaders. John the Baptist condemned the immoral conduct of Herod. 
In Thessalonica, Paul and his companions were charged with committing treason against Rome because they spoke out against Herod. Jesus protested the evil of King Herod's reign in Luke chapter 13. Peter and John in Acts chapter 4 were arrested for sharing the truth and were told not to do that by the government. And they very clearly said, you do what's right in God's eyes, we will do what's right in God's eyes as well. And we have to do what we know to do, and that is to listen to him first. And what it is he's telling us to do. Which is why, again, Peter starts by saying, or finishes by saying, honor God, respect God, listen to God first, then honor the leadership around you. All through the Bible, we see God placing leaders in strategic positions. He moved Joseph into authority in Egypt, elevated Daniel to a position of influence, placed Nehemiah in a very strategic place in a very specific moment in history. He made Esther queen in Persia and Deborah judge in Israel to accomplish his goals. You read scripture and you'll find out very clearly that when a government sets itself up as a God, it's in for a very short run. You read it in scripture, you read it in history. Because there is only one king who reigns over the power of the universe that we sang about this morning, and that is the Lord God Almighty. God protested the unrighteousness of Nebuchadnezzar's reign as he decided to usurp the authority that belonged to God, which is a sin of every single centralized government. In your notes, I shared with you last week that under God's rule, there are at least four systems that we need to understand, clearly laid out in the Word of God. Number one, self-government or self-rule, where every person has a responsibility to govern themselves according to the principles found in God's Word. Verses in Ecclesiastes, Psalm 119, I love that. Blessed are those whose ways are blameless, who walk according to your law. Blessed are those who keep your statutes and seek it with all their heart. They do no wrong. They follow your ways. I will praise you with an upright heart and learn your righteous laws. How can a young person stay on the path to purity? By living according to your word. I've hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Which is why Peter said, live such godly lives that they see what God is doing in your life and the transformation that has taken place. First few chapters of Romans indicate that God has revealed himself over and over and over again in a variety of ways. And man will be responsible for what they've decided to do or how they've chosen to respond to God or reject God based on how he's revealed himself to them. We very clearly said last week that God has given us freedom to make a lot of choices. But he also reminds us there are consequences for those choices. Family government is the second one. God established a family as a foundation of civilization. All through Scripture, God establishes the necessity of family and the family structure and the responsibility of parents in the development of their children. Deuteronomy, Proverbs, Ephesians, Colossians, all over the place, this incredible weight and responsibility that God's placed on us as, as families and as parents to raise our children to the level of maturity that they understand what God can do in their life and how He's challenged them. I am absolutely blown away how many parents get so afraid when their kids go off to college as if they haven't put enough time and effort into them at this point. Man, if you're waiting for college to help find themselves or help them find themselves or you haven't done everything you possibly can and you're hoping they make it in college, man, I, I don't want to send my kids off to a secular campus and hope they make it without making sure that I've done everything under the power of my control and everything I possibly can to help them develop a godly foundation so that when they face the challenges of the world, they know what decisions to make. Also noticeable in these passions here, passages here is the complete absence of any indication that government has the responsibility of training children or deciding which way they should be taught. 
Sadly, so many parents have abdicated that responsibility or deferred it to the state that the state just simply picks up what they can do. Now, I'm not saying that homeschooling or Christian schools should be the only choice for believers, like some organizations have said. What I am saying is get involved and be aware of what's going on and be aware of what's being taught. That's why last Sunday night's information was so critical. I had a young lady come up to me this morning in the first service who said her best friend teaches in one of the local school systems in second grade, and, and every time before they make a decision on curriculum, they invite the parents to come in and read it and make sure they are okay with it and what's going to be taught. She said not one parent has ever taken advantage of that. And that's open. That's public school. Church government's the third. It's all over the New Testament in Ephesians 4 and 1 Timothy 2 and 3. It's all through Corinthians. Peter talked about it here in chapter 5, and it's all over Scripture. And finally, the fourth system instituted by God is civil government, set in place to create and maintain a righteousness and a just environment for freedom and all the other areas can flourish. Without it, we live in chaos. Look at Libya. I can take you to almost any country in West Africa and many places in Africa. Without some form of centralized government, it is absolute chaos. Here in Romans chapter 13 and 1 Peter chapter 2, he shares with, again, the necessity of making sure that we understand the confines and making sure, again, they understand their own confines. Civil government was never meant to interfere, contradict, or replace the other three of God's ordained institutions, especially family and the church. The problem is that many families have failed to take their responsibility seriously, and hundreds of families have disintegrated completely and leaving a huge vacuum. And the church in many cases, have failed to make a significant impact on society. Totally disagree with John MacArthur in his book, Why Government Can't Save You, when he said this, God does not call the church to influence culture. I am absolutely against that statement. Jesus said we are to be light and salt. Who is he saying that to? Us as believers, to whom the world around us. The problem is we've spent so much time fighting over theology and doctrine that we've lost our influence. One of God's greatest disappointments with the nation of Israel was obviously their rejection of the Messiah. But they were chosen by God to display to the world what a difference God's love can make. They were chosen by God to show the world to be a conduit so that they could see and understand His grace and His love as it pours itself out on a nation. That exact same responsibility was given to the church. But sadly, so many have found themselves arguing and fussing and fighting over some of the smallest things that really don't matter in the kingdom of God and have failed to become beacons of light and hope. Tony Evans, in one of the most amazing sermons I think I've ever heard, when I was listening to it in Word uh, Luncheon a couple of weeks ago, said, if you do not be the church, you need to take your sign down and then quit saying you are a church. We have an enormous responsibility to respond to the world around us. So the answer, what do we do? Well, your sermon notes are there this morning, and you'll notice that I have seven. Could have been a hundred, but seven's a biblical number, so I stayed with seven. Number one, stay informed. Stay informed. I've given you a number of inserts and, and all kinds of information over the last few weeks, the American Policy Roundtable, Pennsylvania Family Association, Voters Guide. We get so inundated with material from so many different places. There's some great resources out there. Please Stay informed and get informed. Don't walk into that booth. One of, the most, one of the most wonderful privileges ever given to an individual in a free nation is what we're going to do on November 6th. And every single believer in Jesus Christ ought to take advantage of that. I, I heard last time, I can't even tell you the amount of numbers that I heard. 
of Christians who decided not to vote. I can't even fathom that. That we don't take that wonderfully God-given ability and died for freedom by those who have served overseas all these years and not take advantage of that privilege. But do not walk in there saying, I don't know who any of these people are, but that one at the top. Secondly, get personally involved. In Esther chapter 4, Esther literally laid her life on the line to rescue her people. Dietrich Bonhoeffer gave his life to fight against the atrocities of Hitler's rule, who said, enough is enough. You can't continue to allow these atrocities to go on and not get involved. If it cost me my life, it'll cost me my life, and he gave it. William Wilberforce, who after coming to faith in Christ, spent his life as a leader doing everything he possibly can to abolish the atrocity of slavery. Rajin and her Act for America organization that she shared last Sunday night. I mean, I've never in all my life of introducing speakers, never had a speaker come out on the introduction and get a standing ovation before she began to speak. But a 13-minute video clip about her organization and what God called her specifically to do was that powerful that people responded. The church cannot support every good cause, but individuals can make an amazing difference. But the church can't sit silent either. Bob and I, on a regular basis, I wish I could just simply tell you, but on a regular basis, have people come to us about this organization and that. Can we do this? Can we sponsor that? Can we highlight this? Can they have pulpit time? Can you support them? Can you give money to this? I mean, literally every week. And, and one of our huge responsibilities is deciding which ones are the ones we want to support or participate in. It's a huge responsibility that's laid on us at times. And sometimes the church can't do all of those things. But individuals, you can do a lot. By getting involved, getting connected, being aware of what's going on around us. Number three, run for office. <laughs> run for office. We need godly people in every aspect of society. If Christians bail out of that arena, who's left to influence it? If Christians bail out of that arena, we just, I don't want to get involved in politics. It's such a mess. I'm telling you, if you're going to go into politics, you better have a really spotless life because it will come out. But if we bail in that area, who's left to fill that gap? Bob Thune's a pastor friend of mine. He's been a friend of mine for 20-some years. His brother John's the United States senator, one of the top 12 candidates for Republican nomination of president of the United States. We visited with John a couple of years ago in Washington, D.C., in his office, and he said, you have no idea how difficult it is to be a believer in Christ in this arena around me. But he said the second thing that many people don't know is how many believers are in this arena. Media never tells you that. We're always slanted in one way or the other. It doesn't matter who you listen to. There's always a slant. But he said that's the thing that he kept wondering. If Christians don't step up to the plate in this arena, who's left if we don't get involved? Number four, do what we can to hold the government responsible to its obligation and responsible for its actions. Support it when it does and hold it accountable when it doesn't. And as Peter said, do it with respect. Gruden, in his book, Politics in the Bible, said one of the most basic responsibilities of the government is to punish evil. When a government does this, it defends the weak and the defenseless. The Apostle Peter said the civil government is intended to punish those who do evil and praise those who do good. Paul says in Romans, the government is authorized by God to bear the sword against those who do evil atrocities, both within and without. The arguments commonly used by Many Christians are that Jesus commanded us to turn the other cheek and Jesus commanded us to love our neighbors and pray for our enemies. And all of that is absolutely true. Gruden's response to that, I would argue that the pacifist viewpoint 
wrongly uses Jesus' teaching about individual contact and turning the other cheek to apply to civil government. But the explicit teaching on civil government in Romans is that they should bear the sword and oppose evildoers and execute God's wrath on those nations that come against us. It's interesting, one of the most fascinating pieces I read this week is in Luke 22. When Jesus originally, in the beginning of this gospel, sent out his disciples, he said, take nothing with you. Go out and share the truth. Luke 22, he calls them back and said, how did it go? And they respond to that. He said, I sent you out with nothing. Did you need anything? Was everything okay? And their response was yes. This time I'm sending you out again. Take a purse. This time get a sword. If you don't have one, sell what you need to get one. But take it with you. An amazing transition that so often, regardless of what side of the issue we look at, we switch it around. I love that piece because that's why I carry a sword too. Number five, vote wisely and vote biblically. Vote wisely and vote biblically. Not based on party lines, not based on what your family's always done, no matter what the, not based on what the union tells you to do. Base your vote wisely and biblically on what God is telling you to do based on where we're at. I don't remember the last time in all of my years in ministry where I was inundated with so much information and so much response and, more importantly, so much concern about where we are as a nation from leaders around the world. One of the ones that I respect the most is Ravi Zacharias, probably the greatest apologist that I've ever heard. He has been invited by, by people that you and I would have never, ever gotten to. College campuses, the Mormon Tabernacle, nations around the world, British Parliament. I mean, the list is endless of places that he's been invited to speak, addressing every issue under the sun. Someone asked him a question recently at one of his conferences, and he knew that it was slanted toward where we are as a nation, and his answer to the issue is this. Does one vote for a candidate who belongs, say, to a faith other than the Christian faith? Everyone has to vote according to their conscience and what God is prompting them to do because it's a very privileged role that we are given in this nation. My view of the philosophy of history and politics is this. When you're choosing between leaders, none of whom will give you the groundswell of the Christian faith on which their life is built, which may not guarantee that they may make the best leader either, you know, but if that's not there, you have to go for a person who will help a nation provide the best moral soil on which the freedom to believe and disbelieve can actually function. It is on a moral soil that the freedom to believe actually works best and truth can ultimately triumph. If you have an immoral soil created, then the truth is evicted and you're not even given to the opportunity of voicing your ideas in the marketplace and in the public setting and in the arena. The Christian faith ought to have a voice in the marketplace. It ought to have a voice in the academy. It ought to have a voice in politics. It ought to have a voice in business. And any leader that'll create the moral soil to make it possible for us to continue to pro proclaim that, that's the kind of leader we may have to ultimately work, no matter what tag they put on them on the outside, if you're choosing between those for whom the Christ is not supreme in salvation, you have to choose one who will give you the best moral soil in order to allow you to live for Christ and live out your faith. That's the implication of the answer that I have given to you.
Every evangelical leader that I've read answers it the exact same way. You have to vote to the one that comes closest to our understanding of biblical values. Billy Graham, who has been involved in every president's life in the last number of years, very seldom takes a stand on any issue. But this week, shared this, and I want to read it to you this morning. The legacy we leave behind for our children and grandchildren in this great nation is crucial. As I approach my 94th birthday, I realize this election could be my last. I believe it is vitally important that we cast our ballots for candidates who base their decisions on biblical principles and support the nation of Israel. I urge you to vote these for those who protect the sanctity of life, support the biblical definition of marriage between a man and a woman. Vote for biblical values this November 6th and pray with me that America will remain one nation under God. If indeed we want God to bless America, we have to remain one nation under God. Number six is to recognize that only Christ can change the human heart. Therefore, support, share our faith, and support those who do. We heard this morning, obviously, from Dustin and Miranda. Next Sunday morning, you'll probably hear one of the greatest missionary spokesmen I've ever heard in all my life, John Bechtel. He's going to share with you what God's doing around the world. The new thrust of the Christian Missionary Alliance is to take the gospel of Jesus Christ into so many Muslim nations. Because without Jesus Christ, they are as lost as all of humanity. And Jesus is the only one that can change the human heart. And so often we ignore that. I'm sure that there are more people who have protested, picket, or banned way often more than they've shared their faith. And our responsibility as believers is to understand that when Jesus Christ changes our lives, the very thing we want to have happen to the world around us is that their lives be changed as well. Only Jesus can change the human heart. And as believers, we need to demonstrate that Jesus has changed us. We don't return hate for hate. We don't burn their Bible because they burned ours. That's what makes us different. That's what makes Christ different. That's what makes Christianity different is our love of Jesus and the love for Christ that causes us to love lost humanity. And there has to be a balance in that between our understanding of where we are and what we're dealing with. I will lay down my life. I raise my right hand. <laughs> I raised my right hand in a courthouse in the last number of years downtown here. And I said, I will defend this nation with my life from those forces that come inside against us and outside against us. But I'm also bound by this that says the driving force of my life is to always, wherever I am, to show the radiant love of Jesus everywhere I go. And it's so easy to get those two things out of balance. And number seven, pray. Pray like you've never prayed before. When God announced to Abraham that he was going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah, Abraham prayed, pleaded with God to intervene, to spare the city if he could find ten righteous people in it. For Israel built the golden calf in, Israel, in the wilderness. God was so angry with the people, he said, I'm going to destroy the whole nation. Moses interceded on their behalf. Matter of fact, simply said, God, if you take them out of the book, take my name out as well identified himself with the people. Nehemiah prayed to God to restore the nation of Israel. If God's people do nothing or sit on the sidelines, there is no reason that God should not bring judgment on us. But if God's people get actively involved and really do believe that God cares for us and can make a difference, then we need to seek his face with every fiber of our being. I honestly believe with all of my soul that this could be one of the most important elections in a generation and will affect generations to come. If I'm wrong, 
we may not lose much. But if I'm right, we could lose everything. If I'm wrong, everything may stay the same. If I'm right, everything will change. Who wants to go? And we'll finish today and move on to another subject. I share with you a video clip. And I want to end with that today. And then I'm going to close in prayer. Father, I love this nation. I'd lay down my life. I'd give my life to protect it. And the stories of my grandparents, desperate to get out of the country in which they were in, longing for the freedom and the joys of being in the United States of America. I thank you for what we have stood for and what our foundation is all about. But Lord, I honestly don't remember at any time in my life when I felt like we're racing down a track so fast and the edge is destruction. But God, I join with my church family is the family I have. There's so many of us that wish we had a larger platform. This is what I have this morning. You've privileged me to be the pastor of this great family for all of these years. And so this morning we call on you.
Forgive us. Please restore us. Please speak in very loud ways in these next few weeks. Help us to hear through all of the stuff that's said on one side or the other, to sort through all of the trash and the junk that is shared and to hear your voice in the midst of all of this. God, we just plead with you to hear our prayer. In the beginning of time, I see Moses calling on leadership and setting up leadership of people who understand truth and morality, who use wisdom and all the way to the New Testament. I see the same requirements of who we choose as leaders. So, Father, help us as a nation, not as only individuals, but as a nation, to choose wisely and choose well choose rightly. We long for healing. We long for restoration. We long to be the influence that we once were. God, help us and heal us, we pray. Thank you again for your word. It is so powerful and so clear on all of these subjects. Thank you for preserving it so that we could hold on to it with every fiber of our being and take it and use it to apply to what goes on around us. May his voice be loud and clear, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so very much for your incredibly kind attention. God bless you. Looking forward to a great, great, great Sunday next Sunday. Guarantee you, you don't want to miss it. And we got some really fun stuff to do in November. God bless you. Have a great day.